Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Good morning. Welcome to Silverdale Baptist Church. It's so awesome to see all of you here worshiping with us today. I'd like to welcome all of you here at our Bonnie Oaks campus. Also like to welcome those at our Creekside service, our Bridges service, our North Udawa campus, our St. Elmo campus, and all of you that may be worshiping online. I'm Tony Walliser. I'm one of the pastors here at Silverdale, and I have the privilege today to share with you God's Word. So this is what I encourage you to do. Go and take your Bibles and open up to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. That's our starting place of where we're going to begin today in Romans chapter 1. Um, also do this. Take out these Bible study outlines that we provide for you. We give you these so you can follow along and take notes. And that's going to be really important today because we're going to look at a number of verses today. And so it'd be encouraging for you to follow along and take notes as we study God's Word together. As most of you know, we're in a series called Making Disciples. And what we're doing is we're learning six skills that every follower of Jesus should master. And the reason why is because if you don't master these, you won't really be an effective follower of Jesus Christ. So we're teaching you six skills. Now, it's going to take time for you to master them. It took Jesus' disciples three years. So it may take you months to master these six skills. But you need to master them, not just for yourself, but so that you can disciple others. You see, the reality is, is that God has called us to not only be a disciple, he's called us to make disciples. And so we're all supposed to be discipling somebody out there. And so you need to learn these six skills. What are they? Week one, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit and listen to the Spirit of God lead you in your life. Week two, how to pray. Week three was how to share your story. And now today, I'm going to teach you how to share God's story. How do you share God's story? You go, what is God's story? It's called the gospel. In fact, in the New Testament, the word gospel is used 176 times. Gospel, what does that mean? It just simply means good news. In Jesus' day, it would be like a king who, who won a battle and he sends back a declaration of the good news, the gospel, right? I mean, I think, you know, after World War I, and there was a declaration that the, the war was over, right? And everybody's celebrating the street. It was good news. Well, I've got good news for you. Jesus Christ, our King, has conquered sin and death and hell and Satan and provided a way of salvation for you and I to spend eternity with God in heaven. That's good news, folks. That's the gospel. And so the gospel is good news. And yet the sad reality is that for a lot of us as Christians, we've become ashamed of the gospel. You go, really? Yeah, we don't share it. Notice how the Apostle Paul puts this. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says this. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? 
because it is the power of God for salvation, for who? To everyone who believes. The salvation, power of God, absolutely. I mean, we like power, right? I mean, you know, we're just really into power. We are Americans. We are a superpower. You get a group of guys together, right? I mean, right? You know, testosterone kicks in and competition begins to happen and, and you want power. I mean, you, somebody drives up with a nice, you know, race car and we say, hey, man, open the hood. I want to see what kind of horsepower you got. Or what happens, you know? You, you basically get a new computer and, and you go, what kind of processing power does that have? We, we like power, right? Well, Paul was writing to the church in Rome. And Rome was the seat of power. You had all this power, this military might. They conquered the known world. I mean, you had the Roman legions. They were all about power. And yet with all the power of the Roman Empire, one thing they did not have the power to do, they did not have the power to change somebody's heart. And so the Roman Empire was very corrupt. A lot of immorality, sexual morality, and just all kinds of things going on. And suicide rate was really high in the Roman Empire. It reminds me a lot of America. In fact, do you know what the top three searches are online at night? Porn. We all knew that, didn't we? Porn, lonely, suicide. That in the last several years, suicide rates have gone up by 25%. And even though there's more antidepressants and, and we're, you know, more counseling that is, av- is available, and it's a tragedy, it is. It's hard, heartbreaking to see this happen. And yet, we're, we're like the Roman Empire. Why? Because something's wrong. Something's missing. I mean, one psychologist who deals with those in suicide made this comment. He said this. He says, we have natural physical needs. We need food, water, shelter, clean air. If those are taken away, we die. But there is evidence that people have psychological needs, and I'd say these include spiritual needs. What are they? You need to feel you belong. You need to feel as though your life has meaning and purpose. You need people to see you and value you. And you need to feel as though you have a future that makes sense. Now, I would submit to you today that the gospel of Jesus Christ and a relationship with Jesus Christ that is real and authentic satisfies all four of those basic needs. And that's why the gospel is the power of God for salvation, for transformation. I mean, you've probably heard of this guy, you know, Alfred Nobel. He started the Nobel Peace Prize, right? Well, Alfred Nobel was first known as a chemist who discovered um, dynamite. And whenever he first, you know, discovered this explosive power, he had a friend. He didn't know quite what to name it, so he asked a friend who who knew the Greek language. He said, is there a Greek word for explosive power? And he said, yeah, it's um, it's the word, the Greek word is dunamis. It means explosive power. And he goes, okay, I'm going to call it after that word dynamite, okay? And so we have dynamite today. And it comes from the Greek word dunamis. Where do you find the Greek word dunamis? It's found in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. The gospel is the dunamis power of Almighty God. God wants us to share the gospel, and as we share the gospel, we just let God do his work. I mean, it's going to create power and change people's lives. And yet, for a lot of Christians, we don't share the gospel. We're ashamed of the gospel. Why? Well, at the very top of your outline, I put down there three reasons why we don't share our faith. 
And so I want you to jot them down in your outline. What are, what are reasons why you and I are ashamed of the gospel? We don't share the gospel. The first one is this. Number one is that we have fear of rejection. We have fear of rejection. We're like, you know what? If I share this and, and they don't receive it or, or they may reject me or they may re- reject what I'm s- speaking about. And, and see, we have fears, right? I mean, we all have fears. One of the greatest fears is fear of public speaking, right? Or speaking to, to strangers. Well, how do you overcome that fear? Well, you got to believe that your message is more important than your fear, right? Let me put it like this. If you were in a building and there was a fire and yet you had this fear of public speaking, what would you do? You'd overcome your fear, wouldn't you? You'd go, hey, we got to get out of here. There's a fire. Why? Because your message was more important than your fear. Well, listen to me. The gospel of Jesus Christ is more important than your fear. And so you got to learn to overcome it. Now, I've got to confess to you that, you know, basically, I am by nature an introvert. You may go, you, Pastor Doni, are an introvert? Absolutely, I am. I'm a radical introvert. And so what I've got to do is I've got to overcome that. How? Through the power of the gospel. And so one of the very first verses I learned, I memorized, was 2 Timothy um, 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but power, love, and a sound mind. You see, the message is more important than your fear. You gotta overcome your fear, but that's one reason why we don't share the gospel. There's a second reason why we don't share our faith, and it's this, we don't sense the urgency. We just don't sense the urgency. Is it really all that important? I mean, you know, you know their life seems to be okay without the gospel, really? <laughs> I mean, let me put it like this. Let's just say that you got cancer. And you started researching, trying to find some cure for your cancer. And so you do your research and you, you find out this cure for cancer, right? And you get cured from that. What would you do? Would you hang on to that knowledge? No. What would you do? You would immediately start sharing it. You go to doctors or chemists or other people and say, hey, this is the cure for cancer, right? Well, listen to me. We've got a message that is more revolutionary than a cure for cancer. You go, really? Yeah. Why? Because somebody can be cured from cancer and they're still going to die and spend eternity somewhere. You and I have a message that enables people to figure out where they will spend eternity. It's an urgent message. But there's a third reason why we don't share, and it's this. We don't feel confident. We just don't feel confident. I mean, what if I say the wrong thing? Well, what if I, you know, what if I come across the wrong way? What, what, what if I'm speaking and somebody asks me a question that I don't know the answer to? Well, let me just put you at ease. That's going to happen, right? And so let me just help you out that whenever somebody asks you a question that you don't know the answer to, you, you may want to jot this down. This is what you do. You say, I don't know. I don't know. That's a great question. That's a great question. I don't know the answer to that, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to research that and I'm going to get back with you if that's okay, right? And then what do you do? You pivot and you say, I don't know that, but this is what I do know. I mean, I love this story in the gospels. Remember we studied a few months back where the man who was born blind and you had the religious leaders, what were they doing? They were t- debating with him. And they're saying, well, you, you can't follow Jesus. Jesus is a sinner and Jesus is that. And, and they're trying to debate with a guy. And what do you say about Jesus? And, and the guy says, look, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. All I do know is this. I was blind and now I see, right? And that's the same way with you and I. There's gonna be times people are ask us things. I don't know, but I do know this. I was blind, but now I see. 
And so what has God called us to do? God has called us to share his gospel. And, you know, success is not necessarily somebody coming to faith, even though that's what we would desire and pray for. But listen, I can't convert anybody. I mean, God alone saves people. God's the one who convicts and woos and draws, right? I mean, I can't save anybody. All we're called to do is be faithful and share. And that's all we're called to do. One day you're going to stand before Christ. And what's he going to say? Hopefully, well done, good and faithful servant. He's not going to say, well done, good and successful servant. No, well done, good and faithful servant. Just be faithful and share. And so those are reasons why we don't share. But now we're like, okay, what exactly is the gospel, right? I mean, you go, okay, we're supposed to share the gospel. What exactly is the gospel? Now, there's a few verses in the Bible that are the essence of the gospel in one verse. I bet you already know one of them. It's John 3, 16. Look at it with me. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the essence of the gospel. God loves you. Loves you so much he did what? He sent his only son into this world. Jesus came, God in the flesh lived among us the perfect life that none of us could live. Then Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. And now, if you will believe in him, God says you will have eternal life. That's the essence of the gospel in one verse. Uh, another verse that I love is 2 Corinthians 5.21. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 5.21, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let me break that verse down for you. He, that's God Almighty, made the one, who's that? Jesus, and Jesus did not know any sin. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was the the perfect, sinless lamb of Almighty God. On the cross, he was holy and harmless. There he was. He didn't know sin. And yet God caused him to do what? To be sin for us. There on the cross, Jesus took all of our sin, all the sin of all of humanity for all time, all that sin was placed on Jesus. And now, here's the good news. If you believe in him, guess what? You become the righteousness of God. You go, what does that mean? That means that there's a great exchange that took place when you have faith in Jesus Christ. When God looks at the cross, he sees all your sin paid in full. And now he looks at you as though you are his perfect righteous son. I mean, he looked at Jesus on the cross as though he's the one who did all that sin. And now he looks at you and I as though we are the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. Folks, that's the gospel. And when you really understand the gospel, it will revolutionary change your life. It's the power of almighty God. And so that's the gospel in just two verses, right? But what I want to do today is I want to give you, teach you a little tool. We do this in our discipleship classes of how to share the gospel with just a couple of minutes. And we use this little tool called the three circles. And hopefully whenever all of you came in, you, you got this little sticker, right? If you didn't, we can get one to you afterwards. And I put it on my phone so it's just readily available that I can share with people. And so what I want to do is I want to share with you the three circles, now, all of our small groups are going to be going over the th- three circles. Hopefully, you'll learn this. It's just a simple tool. But I typically, I'll say, people, I'll say, have you ever heard of the three circles? Ever hear of the three circles? And typically, most people haven't. 
And I always start with this one, and though you can start in other places, but I start here and I say, you know, this circle right here represents brokenness. And in this world, all you got to do is look around. We live in a broken world. You turn on the, the news, right? I mean, we live in a broken world. There's, there's hate, there's hurt, there's crime, there's sin, there, there, there's sickness. Man, we live in a really broken world. But we know in our heart of hearts, this is not the world we were created for. You see, God's original creation was a creation that was perfect love and relationship with him and with one another. It was called paradise. And we, we see little glimpses of that even to this very day. You know, a sunrise, sunset, a baby's laugh. Goodness, we can still see a little bit of that. But we had this perfect design. God had this perfect design for all of humanity. And then what happened? We decided, I don't want to do what you want me to do, God. I want to be my own boss, right? And so we said, I want to go my own way. And any time we go away from God's design, it's called sin. S-I-N. And right in the middle of sin is a big I, because I'm the big problem. And my independent spirit. And so I rebel against God. And any time that I say I'm going to go my own way, it always leads to more brokenness. And you wonder why our world is so broken. This is the reason why our world is so broken. Now, we all know it's broken. And so what we try to do, we go on this search. We're looking for anything to help us escape the brokenness. Like what? Well, if I could just meet the right person and somebody love me the way I'm really supposed to be loved, then I'll be happy. Or if I could just get that job and get that money so I can live in that neighborhood and buy that car, boy, then I'd be happy, right? So we go on this search and guess what? We may accomplish those things, but they don't really take care of the need. In fact, many times it's like a bungee cord. It just brings us back and that relationship leads to more brokenness and that job leads to more brokenness. And so we try to escape brokenness. And one of the ways we try to escape brokenness I did this for years, was drugs and alcohol. Got to escape, right? And here's the deal. If you die in this state of brokenness, you will be eternally separated from Almighty God for all eternity. But God wants to rescue us. So God did this amazing thing, and that's the third circle. God sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came down into this broken world. He was God in the flesh. He lived perfectly according to God's design. And then he was crucified. And when he was crucified, he literally carried in his body all of our sin and rebellion, all the brokenness of this world, and he, on the cross, crushed our sin. And to prove it, God raises him up from the dead. And so God has provided a way, but we've got to make a decision. See, we've got to humble ourselves. And we've got to say, you know what? I turn, I repent from my life and I turn to Jesus, and Jesus, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to make you the king of my life. And at the moment that you repent and turn and trust and make Jesus the king and Lord of your life, the Bible says something supernatural happens. In that very moment, you are born again. You are made a new creation in Christ. You're forgiven of all your sins, and you start a relationship with God, and God starts healing you of all your brokenness. That's the three circles. Simple gospel. And I'll typically say this. I'll say all of humanity is in one of two circles. Either you're still in brokenness or you're in Jesus Christ and been reconciled to God. Which circle are you in? Okay. And so you may go, okay, that's awesome. Excuse me. Sorry about that. I don't have COVID. Okay. And so um, <laughs> whenever, um, so that's the gospel. And so after we share the gospel, you know, we, we sort of expect people to receive the Lord. Well, 
most of the time they don't. I mean, I, my experience is it takes about 15 times for a person to hear before they actually become receptive and receive the gospel. So sometimes you're just planting seeds and sometimes you're just watering, right? And, and so what I'll often do, I'll say, is there anything keeping you from turning from yourself and trusting Jesus as your king? And that's typically whenever questions will come up. And so I want to give you some of those questions that will come up. So you can see this on your outline, further explanation. What are some things that you may need to explain a little bit further? And you can jot them down. The first one is oftentimes it's sin. Further explanation about sin. And sometimes I'll I'll give illustrations to help explain something. See, we live in a society today that's sort of a a no-fault society. You're fine, I'm fine, you're okay, I'm okay. We don't really sin. I mean, we, may, we do little sins, but we're not really bad people. You're okay, I'm okay. And so what we try to do, we sort of glossed over sin. Sin doesn't exist today, right? But it's a big deal to God. Look at what the Bible says. In Romans 3.23, the Bible says, for all, that's everybody in this room, have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God, right? And the Bible says the wages of that sin is death. So God takes sin really seriously. And we, we all sin a lot more than what we realize. You go, in what way? Well, let's see. You, we sin with our actions, right? You do something wrong or you don't do something right. Or you know what? You, you, you've cheated or you, you've stolen something or whatever it may be, right? You cut somebody off in traffic. Okay, we, we sin with our actions. We sin with our words, right? We, we can say an unkind word. We can, we can backbite. We can gossip about somebody. We can sin with our words, We can sin with our mind and our heart. Jesus said, if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. One of the Ten Commandments, the Tenth Commandment is, you shall not covet what your neighbor has. See, that's sinning in your heart. And so, folks, we realize, oh, my goodness, we sin all the time, right? Don't we? I mean, but just imagine, just for a second, that you only sin three sins a day, right? Normally, their other congregations laughed. <laughs> That's ridiculous, right? Because it is ridiculous. Okay, oh, just three sins a day? I mean, you, you mean you've only had one bad thought all day long. You only said one unkind word all day long. You only had one self-centered action all day long, just three sins a day. Oh, my goodness, you'd be almost perfect, right? But just think of that. If that's when you're almost perfect, three sins a day, in a year's time, that'd be over 1,000 sins in one year. If you're 40 years old, that's 40,000 sins, and that is if you're almost perfect, right? You, you, if you had that many transgressions and you go to a traffic court, that judge would never let you drive again. And yet somehow we think that we can come into the presence of a holy, righteous God with all of that, and we think it's going to be completely okay. It's not okay. Sin is a big issue and it separates us from God. So a little further explanation about sin is often required. Another is a little explanation about the death of Jesus Christ, about Christ's death. Because people go, okay, I hear Jesus died. I don't know why he died. I, don't know. I didn't need him to die for me, right? I mean, why did he die? Why is that? Well, notice how the apostle Peter puts this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It's another gospel in one verse. For Christ also suffered for sins. Once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that's us, that he might bring you to God. And so what does that mean? It means that God loves you, loves you more than anybody else has ever loved you. God loves you so much he sent his only son, Jesus Christ. God steps out of heaven in the person of his son, Jesus, and Jesus is fully human. 
So he feels everything we feel. I mean, he felt the, the cold at night, the, the heat of the day. He was hungry. He got sad. He, 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 he felt the rejection of others, right? He felt pain. Jesus felt all that. And then what did Jesus do while he was here? He perfectly fulfilled all of God's laws. Perfectly. Something that none of us have ever done. And then he dies on the cross in our place for our sins. That's what happened at that moment. At 12 o'clock when all the earth becomes dark, that's when all of the sins of all of humanity for all time were placed on the Son of God in that moment. He became sin for us, okay? He became our substitute. Now, let me illustrate it like this. Let's just say that um, you did some heinous crime. Maybe you murdered somebody. And then you were captured, you were prosecuted, you, you, you were found guilty. The judge sentences you to death by lethal injection. And so you're waiting in jail for your day to be executed for your crimes. But then you discover that there's another person out there who went to the judge, convinced the judge. He said, judge, I am willing to die in his place. Please allow me to be executed in his place for his sins so that he can go free. And let's just say the judge said, okay, I'll execute you in his place. And then you find out and somebody comes and opens up your prison door and says, you're free. You go, what? No, somebody else has taken your place, right? Can I just tell you, that's what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross? Do you understand that? The cross that Jesus died on was meant for you. The crown of thorns on his head belonged on my head and your head. The beatings that he took on his back, it belonged on your back and my back. The hell that he experienced, we deserved. Jesus Christ was the substitute. He took all the punishment for all of the sins of our life. That's the gospel. So, all right, sin separates us from God. A little further explanation about that. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, explanation about that. Well, how do you receive that today? I mean, Jesus did that 2,000 years ago. What, how does that make any difference in my life today? It happens by faith. So jot that down. You probably need to get a little further explanation about faith. Because a lot of people, when you talk about faith and, or belief, they're like, well, what does that mean, right? I mean, it's sort of mystical and, you know, faith. I'm, I'm not really sure what that means. Well, we exercise faith all the time. Whenever you get in the elevator, it is by faith. You're believing that thing's going to take you where it's supposed to go. When you walk across a bridge, you are by faith walking across that bridge, trusting that it's going to carry you, right? I mean, whenever you sit down on a chair, you're trusting by faith that that chair is going to hold you up. We exercise faith all the time. Now, many times, um, whenever I am giving an, an illustration of faith, I, usually, I normally use the chair illustration, Okay. But let me explain why faith is so important. Notice how the Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Paul says this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart. Notice it doesn't say believe in your head. See, a lot of people have intellectual faith. That does not save you. It is whenever you believe in your heart, you're truly trusting Christ. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's whenever you are saved. And so you go, well, how, how do you do that? What is that belief? Well, again, as I said, many times I use a chair illustration. I'm trusting this chair. I mean, a few um, weeks back, whenever I taught on you must be born again, I used the chair illustration to help explain faith. 
Let me give you another example of this. Let's just say that you're sick. You're not getting any better. You got this cold and you can't seem to get rid of it. And so what do you do? You, you get on your phone and you call the teledoc, right? I mean, insurance companies have, you know, this little doctor that you could call. And so you, you call this doctor's in some other place around the country and you talk to him and says, doc, I'm sick and here's my symptoms. And, and he hears all the symptoms and he, he says, you know what? I think you got bronchitis. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna call in this prescription to your pharmacist. And so a couple hours later, you get a phone call from the pharmacist. They said, we, we have your prescription ready. You get in your car, you drive to Walgreens, you give them your credit card, you pay for the prescription. And um, then you take the prescription, you go home, you read you know, the instructions, you take the pills and a few days later, you get better, right? Can I just tell you, everything you just did is an operation of faith, everything. I'm picking up the phone, talking to somebody I've never met. He claims he's a doctor, but I don't know if he's a doctor. I'm telling my symptoms. Does he really understand what my symptoms are? And not only that, he's calling in something to the pharmacist. I've never met that pharmacist before. Is he a good guy, bad guy? Is he going to put the right pills in my bottle? And then I drive, which is by faith, because sometimes my car don't work very good, right? And I pay with my credit card. I hope it doesn't get denied, right? And then I get the pills and I'm reading the instructions. I sure hope they got them right, right? And then you take the pills and that entire thing is faith. It's the same way with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has provided the way of salvation. He's the one who has diagnosed our problem. We got a sin issue. Jesus Christ is the one who's provided the remedy for our sin problem. He died on the cross. And now he's saying, you need to take and trust the prescription. You need to repent from yourself. Trust me, make me the king of your life. And when you do, you'll experience the power of God and be saved. Right? That is faith. And that's what we're called to do. Now, Jesus gave us an illustration to help us remember exactly what he experienced for us in the gospel. It's called communion, the Lord's Supper. And hopefully whenever you came in today, you receive the elements of the communion. I want you to go and take them out. And what are the elements of communion? First, there is bread, right? Jesus took bread and what does that mean? He says, this is my body. It means the bread symbolizes the body of Jesus Christ, that Jesus took on human flesh. Jesus walked among us. Jesus lived the perfect life we couldn't live. And then what did he do? He was broken so that you and I could be made whole and healed, right? That's the bread. And then we take the juice. And you have juice in your cup. And it symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ. And imagine that that is the blood drops that Jesus shed for your sins. And when you're taking it in your body, you're saying, Jesus, I believe in you. In fact, when you take communion, in essence, what you're saying is this. You're saying, I believe. When you take the bread and juice, you're saying, I trust what you did for me to save me. That's what taking communion is all about. Now, the Bible says that before you and I take communion, we need to prepare our hearts. And so I want to give you a little time to do that right now. I want you to just simply bow your head and close your eyes. And God's here and he wants to commune with you, but you got to get your heart right. And there are some of you here 
that you do not really have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You, you maybe believed in your mind, but you've never really surrendered in your heart. And before you take communion today, I would encourage you, would you just call out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I surrender all. I'm yours. I'm here. I am. Lord. I, I surrender my life to you. Or maybe you're here and you're already a follower of Jesus Christ, but there's some sin, there's some area in your life that, you know what, you've drifted away from God. Well, during this time, I want you to repent of whatever God brings to your mind. And so I'm going to give you just a moment. Holy Spirit, would you please speak to us, meet with us in this very moment and reveal to our hearts how we need to prepare our hearts to take communion today. Right now, in the stillness of this moment, just you and God talk to each other. so thankful that though our sins be as scarlet, you make them as white as snow. That Lord, you cleanse us and forgive us and cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. Lord, help us now to commune with you. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed before his crucifixion, he took bread and gave it to his disciples and he broke it. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat and remember to me. Take that now. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful that you gave your body in our place. You were beaten in our place. You suffered in our place. You died in our place. Thank you that we now have life in you because you took our place. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. And then Jesus took the fruit of the vine, that juice, that wine, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant of forgiveness of sins. This is my blood. Take and drink in remembrance of me. Take and drink now. Again, Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you have given your blood, your very life, so that we can experience your life. Lord, you know every one of us, what we're going through, the death of this world, the brokenness of our lives. I'm so thankful, Lord, that even right now, as we've communed with you, you are now transforming brokenness into healing and death into life. We choose to walk in that life now. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale. And we really want you to feel welcome and a part. 
So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.